and just thinking your child is trying to tell you something. They're trying to tell you that something's not right and this is the only way they can tell you. So it's almost stepping back to go, okay, they're telling me that they're hurting. They're telling me something's not right. What can we do? What can we put in place for them? Hi, welcome to the Sharing Parenting Podcast, where we discuss real parenting issues. Being a parent is the biggest and most important job you will ever do. So we feel it's normal and natural for parents to look for good quality, reliable information, which has a strong evidence base behind it. My name is Suzanne Pearson, and I'm the director and founder of Sharing Parenting. Sharing Parenting has been supporting parents and professionals since 2009, and we work hard to normalise parenting support and make this easily available to all parents and professionals, which is why we've put together an interesting and informative series of podcasts for you to enjoy. Now, all that's left is for you to tune in, sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome back to Sharing Parenting Podcast. So today I'm here with Claire. Hello. Hi Claire. And I'm Ginny. So our question today is, my child is always hurting me, what can I do? So an interesting question and um, we don't have the age of the child, so I think maybe we need to kind of look at different stages and ages perhaps Claire and then we can kind of work through that. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, because we don't know the um, age of the child, it might be a good idea to start at kind of the youngest age, sort of about toddler age, that um, age where they're probably starting to communicate through maybe hitting or biting because they're frustrated, or sometimes it's when they're teething that they might just um, find that comfort in chewing or... um, biting on things which unfortunately sometimes might be you or their siblings next to them yeah so I suppose it's not automatically thinking that it's a personal thing to us it sounds as you said just said then it's about the way that they are communicating through their behavior which we see a lot of at sharing parenting don't mm-hmm. we and we talk about Adler's Um, theory about the need behind behavior and looking at the need behind behavior so yeah that's really good really good start isn't it actually about you know it is actually something they're trying to tell us but they don't quite have the words to tell us so they're telling us in their behavior um so yeah so what kind of things that could we do perhaps to look at the need behind the behavior when they're when they're a toddler i mean i think again it's looking at like you said what's happening what are they trying to tell us and um perhaps going and looking at the maslow's triangle again and making sure that their basic needs are being met you know are they hungry are they tired are they too hot are they too cold do they need their nappy changed all of those things which um a child is going to show us that something's not wrong not right sorry and um when they're this age that's the most common way of them being able to tell us or show us yeah so really interesting because I think we automatically think it's going to be something really complicated but we've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of need in the triangle previously in our other podcasts but just sort of basically it's kind of saying you know look at the bottom of the triangle because those are the 
physiological needs. So as you said, sort of, are they hungry? Are they tired? Are they uncomfortable? Um, and working up because, um, as we've said before, we kind of forget if we're really hungry, then we probably don't function at our best. So, you know, we have to eat and sleep um, and feel safe before we can kind of work up the triangle. So, yeah, good point. Maybe just kind of feed them, <laughs> um, give them a drink and then see if the behaviour changes. Yeah. And it could be, you know, they just might be having a bit of an off day. Um, and, and it's good also to look at when this behaviour is happening, you know, perhaps looking at what time of day it's happening, what are they doing when it's happening, you know, is it when perhaps the siblings come home and they're taking over their space, is it when you've got visitors, and it's good perhaps to map out just what's going on at that time to try and figure out that trigger. Um, a lot of children, especially sort of toddlers, we also go in as parents and think perhaps they need a hug or a cuddle. Some toddlers don't because if they're feeling very frustrated and angry, that might be the catalyst for them biting or hitting out if you're hugging them close and they just don't want to be in that situation. So it's quite a good idea to kind of sit back and go, OK, what was happening before? What was happened afterwards? See if you can pick it apart. Yeah, and that kind of relates a little bit to our four C's as well, doesn't it? When we, and again, we have kind of talked about this, but um, sort of looking at the, the need to connect, the need to feel capable, the need to feel that we count and the need to have courage. And I suppose if any of those four are missing, then we kind of, again, a bit of detective work, but trying to kind of work out which one's missing. So as you say, some children love a, a cuddle and, you know, they might kind of, give us a bit of a, a signal that they need that and that might be in a physical way and obviously without rewarding negative behavior we need to kind of recognize that and pick that up and see is it that they just need that connection mm -hmm. and I say some need it in a very physical way and, and others don't mm -hmm. you know they don't want that cuddle but again is it uh, have we put them in a situation where they don't feel capable mm -hmm. so again with the sibling rivalry or new friends or other people have come into the house and they suddenly don't feel safe so I suppose again yeah we could kind of look back at the four C's mm. yeah and again sort of thinking of the four C's and you know the feeling of being capable you know has a new toy been added that perhaps they're not used to you know it, it's it's introducing things quite slowly because that's going to make them not feel capable of achieving things you know, it is just picking apart the behaviour and seeing what's changed and what's different. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Some really good ideas there. Um, I know before we, we talked about it, we've kind of talked about what's a, a normal, and I don't like that word really, but a normal age and stage. And I suppose I like to talk about stage rather than age yeah. because I think children reach stages at different ages. Um, but again, I suppose maybe speaking to somebody to work out whether that is normal for mm. their stage and if this is kind of something that they might go through which for toddlers might be as you said because they might be teething and it actually mm -hmm. might be hurting so it might be something that's yeah and it might be like you said not not necessarily looking at the age but looking at the stage because you might have you know primary school children that perhaps are, are, have got send or they've got an additional need and they might not be able to communicate with their words as, as, as much as other children at their age. So it is looking at the stage that they're at and um, figuring out actually if this is the way they think that they need to communicate, how can we help them to communicate in a different way which isn't 
causing hurt and upset to other people. Yeah, so how would you start to put those boundaries in place at home? What kind of things would you suggest that parents could do? I know before we've talked about perhaps house rules. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in my house, it was always kind of kind words and hands to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, if we're giving an affectionate hug, that might be different. But I think, you know, hands to your kind hands perhaps would be the one. But I mean... And we talked a little bit before about rough and tumble. I mean, what Mm. do you feel about those? I think you really have to, again, it's picking things apart about what's going on at home. If there is a lot of rough and tumble at home and that's okay at home, you've got to think how is this, what is this teaching our child? And they might then want to bring that into either the, the school or other places where it might not be acceptable. So actually it's just looking at those things and how it's teaching our children, because our children will learn from us, and that's that's how they learn how to get on in the world, and what are we teaching them? And it's lovely to rough and tumble, and it's lovely to have that, that play, and I wouldn't say just stop doing it, it's just actually thinking about how will that translate into another, another place where they are, so schools, preschools, things like that. Um, another thing is, is modeling you know modeling that behavior so modeling the behavior you want you know again like I said just now our children learn from us so they're going to watch how we behave they're going to watch how we behave in different situations and how they how we deal with those different situations so how what are we showing them what are they seeing um I know obviously children are going to come from different backgrounds they're going to have different experiences and they're going to see and hear things that perhaps us as parents don't want them to see and hear but it's also then just bringing back bringing it back and saying this is not how we behave you know this is not appropriate behavior we want to teach our children to have safe respectable relationships with everyone around them and that's kind of what we want to to model for them Yes, so as you say, sort of modelling do as I do rather than do as I say, which is really frustrating, I think, as a parent, because you just want to be able to say it and um, actually have to do it. So, um, so yes, and and, um, we talk sometimes in chair and parenting about the parenting styles, and obviously we're always um, talking about assertive parenting. Mm -hmm. And I... um, try to stress with assertive parenting it is about saying sorry Mm. um, because I think if we can model saying sorry then actually that's what we want our children to do when they've done something wrong Mm -hmm. and none of us are perfect are we and I think that's the message we need to tell our children as well that they we don't expect them to be perfect but it's kind of what you do if something goes wrong Mm. and um, so yeah I suppose as you said do do as I do do the the modeling um, and the assertive parent as much as we can but also knowing that you know houses families we're not perfect that we're we're gonna they're going to see and hear things that we don't want them to Mm. do but we can say Mm. sorry and that's yeah exactly like you said you know we don't want to put our children's children up to fail by by pretending we you know we we don't do things wrong and we can't say sorry because that's a very um that's a very difficult thing to keep up and if we can teach our children to say sorry when they're wrong or to change their behavior it's going to give them all those tools that they need for when you know they do leave home and they have relationships of their own and they they can then become that responsible adult which we all would you know we want our children to be yeah what we're striving for Mm. yeah so um I suppose 
again, when we're looking at age and stage and we're looking at positive strategies, so, um, you know, obviously we, we go from raising babies and raising toddlers to raising teens. And actually, if we can put those positive strategies in early, then it's going to help us when we get to rain, mm-hmm. raising teens. Because I often think, well, if your strategy is to kind of just physically pick up a, your child and move them, that's okay when they're a toddler, but you're going to struggle once they get to 14 <laughs> and, you know, six foot and however heavy they are. So I suppose it is working on those positive strategies early. Yeah, and I think the earlier you can start, the the easier, like you said, it will be when they're older. But it's also validating their feelings. You know, the older they get, we all have those feelings. We all, you know, it's normal to have feelings of anger, obviously happiness. You know, all of these things are normal. And it's teaching our children that these are normal feelings. It is then what we do with them. That's what we've got the control over. So again, it's going back to our, our four C's. And it's putting yeah boundaries and and those tools for the children to use to get those ang- those angry feelings out. So okay, so if we get the strategies in early enough, it will help us as our children grow because our children are always going to have show challenging behaviour because there's going to be different stages of their life that they are not going to understand, and that's why we're there as a family to support them. Um, it is about as well that validating their feelings. Um, you know, we all have feelings of anger hurt happiness sadness and it's making sure that they understand that we all have those too and it's just dealing with those feelings in a safe way um anger i think is our our kind of biggest one that we focus on the most i think as parents anyway because we just don't want our children feeling angry and sad so we kind of try and fix it which sometimes is not the best way because we also need our children to be able to help themselves so it's putting in those strategies to help them help themselves um my daughter sometimes uh she can kind of get very very angry and we found for her getting the ice out of the freezer she takes it outside and she smashes it on the floor really helps her get those feelings out it's not hurt anyone it's got those feelings out if she wants to talk about it afterwards we're there if she doesn't again that's absolutely fine but it's got that energy and that feeling out of her. Um, other parents find having a big basket of scrap paper and just ripping it up so you're kind of getting those feelings out. That's another thing that helps. Other parents also find that, you know, meditation, that well-being, that kind of listening to calm music, having a safe space that they can just sit away from everyone and just calm down. Again, that might help. It's finding what's right for your child and letting them have the lead on it. Because I think if you're forcing a child, I know if I forced, didn't force, but if I made my daughter sit quietly and meditate, she wouldn't get those feelings out that she needed to get out. So it works for her. But again, it's finding what, what works for your child. Yeah, I mean, those are really good examples. So it's kind of what they can do rather than what they can't do. Um, and it's kind of helping them to express it in a way that's safe. And perhaps it, are these um, good things to practice perhaps when you're not in the moment, when they're not emotionally flooded. And so I, I remember with the toddlers and raising toddlers and maybe the primary school age, we've sometimes blown either real bubbles or imaginary bubbles but it's just a way of helping the brain to calm down isn't it Mm. and so we're 
Um, it's a physical thing that's happening, but it's a physical positive thing that we can Absolutely. do to calm that brain down. Yeah, and it's like you said about um, if children are emotionally flooded. So with sharing parenting, we think about, um, you know, when you have that saying of, you know, I've had it up to here, and you kind of point to the top of your head. And we kind of think if, if a child's emotionally flooded and it's above their ears, they're not going to be able to hear you. So it is, like you said, about calming them down and lowering that that flooding so then they might be ready to talk about it or not but again it's knowing your child you know some children do want to talk about it some children don't so it's picking your time and reading your children so that comes back to the active listening as well doesn't it reading the body language perhaps finding the right time you know we've talked before about um, in raising to- uh, raising teens where the melatonin might come in later in the evening so they're probably very sluggish around four or five six o'clock and when mm-hmm. you probably want to talk to them but actually they're probably more likely to want to have a chat about 10 or 11 at night yeah. which can be really frustrating for a parent but actually it's just understanding what's going on for yeah. them and also um, you know that active listening kind of a being available when yeah. you can absolutely and it is having like you said you know it's having in your head what's happening in their head because you know if you want to go sort of into um the chemicals that are released so you know if, if a child's getting if they're scared and they're frightened they go into their fight flight mode you know those those um chemicals that are released into their body will cause them to act a certain way so it's just giving them the time for it to calm down so when they're ready and they're not in that fight flight then they're ready to you know talk about it or just move on from it so it's understanding what is going on in their body and also understanding it's not your child trying to hurt you you know it's separating the deed their behavior from the doer so from them and thinking yes this is not personal against me it's some things that sometimes they can't control and things are going on in their body that perhaps they're very worried scared about yeah so a labeling behavior so kind of actually i don't like what you're doing rather than i don't like you yeah absolutely. Um, yeah and then they that can build on the self-esteem and obviously it's easier to stop your behavior than if somebody's labeled the whole person hmm. so it's about changing the behavior in a positive way isn't it so if you've got you know when when they have grown quite big and tall and you know and they are still hurting i mean what would you say to a parent in that situation if it gets to that point and that the violence is quite extreme, which it can be, I've had families that has been quite extreme, I think the first thing is to find a safe space for you, perhaps the rest of the family, and to just try and keep out of the way whilst they're having their meltdown. Please seek help. I think that's important because something's going on that you might not be able to handle at home. Um because if it's um, a child on parent abuse you know that is a form of abuse and that means you'll need extra help so perhaps talk to the school if your child goes to school or the GP but please seek help because it's really really important that you do because it's going to have an effect on any other children in the house and just thinking your child is trying to tell you something they're trying to tell you that something's not right and this is the only way they can tell you so it's almost stepping back to go okay they're telling me that they're hurting. They're telling me something's not right. What can we do? What can we put in place for them? No, really good point, Claire, to you know, not stay in isolation, to reach out to people. And I think that's a lot of what we do in sharing parenting, isn't it? Breaking down those barriers and, and you know, normalising 
parenting support. So um, I suppose talking to the school or speaking to your GP or reaching out to sharing parenting, mm. you know, look on our website, look at other, or even speaking to other parents as well. Yeah. Because I think once people start speaking to each other, then they kind of realise that actually they're often going through the same thing mm. at the same time. So it's really important, as you say, to, yeah. to speak out. Yeah, definitely. And the amount of times when we've had our parent groups, that parents will say, I didn't realise I was the, I thought I was the only one going through this. And it's so nice knowing that other people are going through it as well. Not that you'd wish it on anyone, but it's not just you. That's the thing. Yeah, and that's kind of you can physically see people's shoulders going down, <laughs> can't you? Just that release of actually this is normal or, you know, I, I'm not the only one and actually I can get some positive strategies. Yeah, definitely. So, well, we've spoken about so much, Claire, thank you. And um, what would be your three takeaways from today? Okay, one of them, just talk to people. Like we've said, I, I, can't, I can't say that enough. Talk to people. Don't isolate yourself. There are other people out there having exactly the same issues as you. And it's nice to share those issues. Um, number two, I think find out what's behind the behavior. We have on, um, in Sharing Parenting, we use kind of the model of the iceberg. You know, the tip of the iceberg is the behavior, but what's going on underneath that tip of the iceberg? There are so many different things that might be going on. So try and work out what's going on. The other one, just another thing we use in sharing parenting is try not to get in the boxing ring. So if you can imagine a boxing ring and your child's inside the boxing ring wanting to have that fight, you know, you're the parent, you don't have to get in that boxing ring because nothing good comes out of getting in that boxing ring with them. So you can stop, take another path. And when they're ready and they're out of the boxing ring, that's the time to deal with those situations. Yeah, really good point. And, and we're not talking about a physical boxing ring. We're no. talking, talking about a sort of emotional <laughs> yes. or a verbal one, yeah, where we kind of feel like we're in that battle with them. Yeah. Absolutely. And as you say, yeah, physically, you're as the parent moving away and making that decision. Mm-hmm. Our traffic lights help there, don't they, actually? That stop, think, act, which we, yeah, we didn't mention. that's a really good one to remember. And actually, that's quite a nice... A nice one, like you said, that that's one of those ones. And sometimes it's nice just to have that up somewhere, the traffic light, so it reminds you to stop, think about what's going on. Yeah, lots of people put pin it to their fridge, don't they? And mm. I think that they use it as a, a parent, but actually they're modelling it to the children and then the children start to yeah. use it. Yeah. So, yeah, really good. That's brilliant. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us today, Claire. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you would like more information or have a parenting question about anything we have discussed or want to find out more about parent support, please visit our website, sharingparenting.com. Here you can find written articles, videos with positive strategies, a range of courses and workshops and loads of information. Thank you for listening and we look forward to you joining us next time.